Hey, so we're back for episode five with uh, with Prompted, and I'm Izzy, and I'm here with Erin, Bella, Peter. Whoa, a new voice. Peter, explain. <laughs> well, explain. <laughs> I basically I just asked if I could come onto the show, and because everyone is so nice, they were like, "Of course, of course you can." So thank you very much, Izzy, for that. And um, yeah, I'm very excited to see what we've got. I don't remember agreeing to this. <laughs> Please leave. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know what's most uncomfortable about that, though? You're sat the closest, and you're the one who doesn't agree. I'm like, uh, you know? We're literally sharing a microphone, and I'm just yeah, glaring exactly. at you across the microphone. Yeah, you're like, why, why are you here? Who are you? So, Peter, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-huh. What sort of stuff do you usually write? Wow. Um, it's a horrible question. It's basically... Just whatever comes to mind. It's weird with me. I'm very much a sort of flow of consci- consciousness typewriter. So I do a... If I get an idea, I'll just write about that like on the spot. Like I have to do it in the moment, otherwise it's not as genuine. Um, but in terms of like genre, it's usually personal. Usually sort of first person, like I... It has to be about me. Otherwise, it, it doesn't feel as genuine, you know? So, yeah, yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, our prompt this week was... But it's your prompt. Have you got it up? It, I do. <laughs> um, the prompt this week was, we were speaking in Dutch, but we don't even know any Dutch. Ooh, and do you want to... Because we talked about it a little bit last week, but do you want to like, remind us of the context of it? The context behind it, uh, well, first of all, my housemates, because that's where everything interesting in my life <laughs> comes from. Um, chaotic energy there. But, um, yeah, basically they went out on a night and uh, they've been learning Dutch on Duolingo because they're going on a year abroad. And they went out of a night and got very drunk um, and started calling people women and children and sandwiches in Dutch because those are the only three words they know. Um, so, and then they came home and told me that they were speaking in Dutch all night, but they don't actually know any. So that's that's where the prompt came from. <laughs> it did make a, quite a fun prompt, but I was just sort of like, it was one of those ones where I just got complete like writer's block over it because the prompt itself is like so much in it. And I was like, which direction do I take this in? Like, how, how, what did you guys think of the prompt? I just, I respect the utter chaos behind it, straight up. Um, but I, I tried to approach it from a less literal angle. Um, for me, it's about miscommunication. Trying to communicate in a certain way you don't know how is, is how I took it. That's interesting. Erin, how did you take it? Uh, well, my genre was sci-fi, so I took it in kind of a trying to translate languages. Yeah, I was so when because that was the first one that came to your head, and I was so annoyed because I was like, "Ah, oh, that's such a good idea." I'm sorry, because <laughs> I like the yeah. There's sort of something like very like linguisty in there. Um, but Erin took it, so that's fine. <laughs> My piece is even called linguist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. No, I found it like so. I was staring at the prompt. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be really smart and I'm going to go look up some idiot, like Dutch idioms that they use. But my Google skills aren't very good. So it just came up with loads of idioms with the word Dutch in it. I did look that up as well. Sort of like Dutch courage about like taking courage from like alcohol and then Dutch, like going Dutch is like splitting on a date and then uh, Mm. double Dutch, which is skipping rope. I was like looking at all the different, all the different definitions. 
Yeah, it's it's so weird. Apparently, like they all came into our language when we were at war with the Dutch. And why they're so insulting a lot of the time. Yeah, they're all so mean because I was like, I can't really use. Can I use this in a piece? Because it's all just being mean about Dutch people. But I yeah. So I ended up. I looked at those and I got in a rabbit hole. And then I was like, well, a lot of these are sort of like nautical, navy kind of themed. So that's sort of where my piece went, especially with my genre. But we're not going to do my piece first. We're going to do... Whose piece did I say to go first? And I'm looking at you. I think so, yeah. Yes. (laughs) I hope so now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. Does everyone have their copy of it? Uh, yeah. There are copies just scattered around the desk. Oh, it's so colourful, Aaron. Oh, thank you, Izzy. (laughs) All right. Who are you going to cast as that? I mean, I'll let you guys pick if you want. Um, Does anyone not want to talk very much? We're on radio. No, we'll talk. Right. <laughs> All right. All right, I'll just go through in order then. Um, someone take Thrizzy. Oh, that sounds like Izzy. So All right. I'll take it. That's you, you're yellow. Someone take Zuri. I'll take Zuri because green's my favourite colour. Okay, that's green, <laughs> and that means uh, you are a Bataille. Uh, uh, I'm sorry there are so many made-up words. It is sci-fi. I am doing my best. This if you... is your element as well. I know. If you can't pronounce any of the words, don't worry, because they're all made up. <laughs> okay. Um... The call came through in the middle of the night. Not that night meant anything out here. Space is a dark void no matter where you are. I rolled over in bed and hit the receiver. What's the chaos, Zuri? I could hear Zuri scowl from the other end of the line. A group of four. None of them speak our language. Get down here. I felt along the bedside table for my glasses. I'll be there in a minute. This had to happen just as my shift was finishing, didn't it? Thrissy, you'd better get this sorted in double time or I'll get grumpy from lack of sleep. Like you're not grumpy already. I muttered under my breath before hitting the receiver again. I hoped she hadn't heard me. Ten minutes later, I was in the space station's docking bay, trying to smooth out my crumpled hair with one hand and straighten my uniform with the other. The entrance sign was printed in English, Chinese, Dutch and Leeton to accommodate for the current crew, and beneath it I had added more translations in Glycean and Proximan on sticky notes. Until we got the funding for better translation software, we would have to make do. Zuri was waiting by a battered shuttle, arms crossed irritably. Beside her were three large men and one smaller one. At least, that's what I think they were. I didn't recognise their species. The large ones had mottled blue and grey skin, stretched tight over a bone structure unfamiliar to me. Two pupils shone in each eye when they blinked. The smaller one had claw-like hands and dark scales running across the edges of his face. Glad you could join us, Zuri said sarcastically. It's late, I replied. I'm guessing they don't speak our language at all. They didn't even understand hello. That wasn't particularly surprising. Zuri and I were far from our homeworld, and judging by the way the others were looking at us, they had never seen our species. I'd once been told that the slight translucence of our skin was grotesque. I once had a proximan woman walk out a dinner date with me because she couldn't stand watching the food go down my throat. The three larger men pushed the smallest forward slightly. He could have been the same age as me, but guessing age between species is difficult. Do you understand me? I asked in Leeton. He looked at me blankly. What about now? I said in Glycean. Again, no response. I repeated the question in Proximan, Manisian and Durali before he finally nodded in understanding. Durali isn't my native language. Please speak slightly. He had a thick accent. Welcome to the station. Are you in charge here? I glanced at Zuri. I was lucky she didn't speak to Raleigh. She was only one rank higher than me, and what would be the harm in promoting myself for one night? Yes, I'm in charge. 
Do your companions also speak Dorali? No. I need your help. No, don't look. My eyes had automatically flickered towards the three people behind him. Are you in danger? I asked. Yes. I'm not good at reading faces. If he was lying, this could be an ambush, the perfect lead-up to a robbery of the station supplies. The three behind him were much bigger than Zuri and I. I should have had my weapon, the taser-type device I was issued when I first came aboard, but it was still by my bed, left in a hurry, to, left behind in a hurry to get dressed. I didn't see if Zuri had hers on her belt. Do, do a hand greeting, he said. Please? His sleeves didn't look bulky enough to hide knives. I put on a fake smile and held up my hand, palm upwards, fingers curled into a fist. He must have been in this sector at least a few days to know the standard greeting. Calmly, he copied the gesture, placing his fist on top of mine. His sleeve slid up as he did so. Along his wrist, in a thick line, his scales had been broken and torn, worn away by heavy restraints. The exposed skin beneath was raw red and crusted with pink blood. I kept my tone cheerful as I spoke. I'm going to pretend to ask you questions about the shuttle. Play along. He did, and spoke as if, as if asking a question. You can't tell the other one? Why? Sorry, that's you. Why not? I gestured to his shuttle, like I was concerned about the state he, he, it was in. He indicated for me to follow him. Because if these people know what I'm telling you, we'll all be dead within minutes. He pointed to the fuel compartment of the ship and shrugged, like he couldn't explain it. I bent down to open it. What's your name? What I? I'm Thrissy. What happened to you? They took me from my home. He adjusted a pipe in the fuel compartment. They don't speak languages like I do. They told me to get the shuttle fixed. Each of them has a weapon hidden in their coats. Their plan is to take me to the next sector. Why? I have something they want. I lean further into the fuel compartment, pretending to look for faults. Why don't you give it to them? If they get hold of it, everything will... I don't have the words. He made a strange, deep noise, a voice in his own language. How do you say it? Cain? Chaos? Chaos. One of the men behind us shouting something at Bataille. I felt him flinch. Will you help me, Frissy? From the way he was leaning into the compartment, his collar had shifted. There were more scales missing from the side of his neck. What can I do? Delay them. Just for a few hours. I'll explain everything. Tell them Zuri can... Um, can... Oh, Zuri here can repair the fuel tank, but she'll need time. Until tomorrow evening, at least. As Bataille turned to relay the message, I went to Zuri. We'll show them to some rooms, then call security. There's only two on this late shift. Then wake the rest of them up and keep your weapon close. We might need it. Ooh. Ooh. So I recognise some of these species. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is, some of the species names were stolen from another thing I've written, which Izzy is familiar with because she's <laughs> in it. Um, making up species names is hard. No, no, I was saying that's a good thing, because I'm just excited for your own, like, Cell 26 thing. Yeah. Thanks, Izzy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so what is... what? Like, it was left on a bit of, like, a cliffhanger. Like, what's going on? Uh, I, I don't know, to be <laughs> honest. But I've got something. Don't know what it is. Um, there's uh, a series I watch where there's an alien prince-type character thing that's quite cool. Um, but also has some very, very strange qualities, but he's got, um, like, a weapon that some other aliens are looking for, and I thought that might be something that he's hiding, maybe. Oh, I see, yeah. But, yeah. No, that was really cool. I just love, like, 
Yeah, all of like the world building stuff like that. You definitely know how to do your sci-fi. Hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't think I watch it every day. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I liked the sort of. It was an exchange where like only they could understand each other, and I, I liked the fact that he was in danger. So there was this idea of, I don't know. There's a real tension there that I think mm. you mined into. That's what I really enjoyed about it anyway. Yeah, I liked how you used like the different the uses of the different languages and stuff and yeah, used it as a way for like um botai, botai? I I don't know botai. how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> and, like used it as a way for him to get like yeah, a little bit of privacy and a little bit of freedom. And I love the translator character as well cuz it's definitely something a bit sneaky going on there. Yeah. I liked when um, Thrissy was sort of like saying, it was still like obviously in English, but like trying to figure out which language that he could speak. And even though it was still in English, it was weird to like in my head think like, oh, she's speaking a different language now, which like it actually worked. Like you felt like she was speaking a different language, which was mm. weird. Like it worked really well. It flowed a lot better than if like, I, I don't know, you could like a way that you, could have done it, I guess is like make up words yeah and then put the translations down but like that would have this way flowed a lot better and was very natural and we can just kind of like yeah like the readers just kind of got it and like oh they're speaking something different I feel like if you'd made up words and put a translation it would have like sort of interrupted the it would have like um taken you out of the scene if that makes sense yeah um yeah. whereas it's it still being in English and oh I said it in this language works like for like a lot it works better I think mm because isn't it as well, like, I didn't realise until I was looking through formatting for screenplays yeah. um, that if you have, if you're writing a scene where the people are talking in a different language, you don't translate it. You just put it in your, like, the language to whoever, or whoever you're handing it in. So, like, I'd write yeah. it in English and just say, like, in brackets, in French yeah. or in this. <laughs> but I, I need to translate this. Yeah, that's awesome. I can now understand why, like, so many big movies can just go all over the world because the writer doesn't have to know every single language and stuff. Yeah, so, whose piece were we looking at next? It was yours, right? It, it was mine, it was mine. Okay, I'll just... Mine's on the chat. So I got... I got yours up. A bit of a strange genre today. Um, I got um, a sea story, which is sort of basically some kind of, like, fable or... Um, almost folklore fairy tale esque kind of thing, but with a nautical theme. Um, so that was exciting. I did a lot of trying to research old ships and how that sort of stuff happens. But then I realised no matter how much I Google, I'm never going to be there. So I might as well just sort of shift it into my own world. You and then I can like take a bit of creative licence with it. I can oh, see you can, you've done research. You can this see all, all, all of my notes. Yeah, there's so much research. Couple of pages. Yeah, that was me. Which I literally posted on the Instagram the other day, sort of how important it is to make sure you do your research and how research mm. can be quite fun. Um, yeah, so that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, and luckily a lot of the um, idioms with the word Dutch in that I was talking about earlier that I was looking up, they were sort of nautical themed as well, so they all fit in quite nicely, although I didn't do any of them explicitly. Um, does someone, I think there are only three reading parts here, um, does someone want to say, I haven't highlighted them, so have fun finding your lines. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but does someone want to say, um, Lexi? 
I can do Lexi. Mm. Yeah. Lexi's sort of um, a little bit younger um, uh, woman, and she's, like, part of the crew, a fairly, like, high-ranking, but not quite captain. And does someone else want to take Axe, the old navigator? I guess. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> you do it, okay. Axe is, yeah, he's a little bit older and he's really embracing this sea life. He's he's loving it. Um, okay, I'll do the narration and Erin, you can have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be here for moral support. You'll be here for moral You could, uh, how about you do some waves crashing at the beginning and at the end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Got some ASMR things uh. going on. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a seagull? That was a seagull. <laughs> then you were interrupting my story. <laughs> <Not> apologies. <laughs> that was the perfect part to start. Okay, okay, Erin, hit it. <laughs> the stars peep through the sheets of black. They burn, explode, disappear. But to most people's eyes, they're just sort of there. Something to look at. God's tracking signals. Each constellation an arrow made of sticks pointing to where he wants the crew to go. Nautical maps are pinned to the creaking oak. Moonlight splashes through a circular window and onto the maps. The land we shall not forget is inked across the grey mass at the bottom of the map. The land we shall not destroy seeps into the faint green lines at the top. Saplings droop from the shelves onto the bed. Axe pours a mug of seawater into each plant pot. Grey spirals of hair stick out from his head. Just survive until we arrive, okay? Then you can grow properly. He mumbles as the water spills over the pot and onto his sheets. That's what I plan to do anyway. A knock at the door sounds over the crash of waves. Go, Erin. (laughs) (laughs) Axe pulls his sleeping bag over the water on his sheets, sits his oak chair under the maps, uh, sits on his oak chair under the maps and reaches to open the door. Lexi stands outside with apple blossom peeking out from her plaits. Her feet are planted shoulder width apart as the ship throws the crew from side to side. Axe grips onto his desk for support. I'm not sure who's in a worse state, you or your pine. Lexi says as she sits on Axe's bed. Axe touches his wiry beard. This is all the rage on the waves. No, the beard's good. I wouldn't dare attack your beard. I was talking about the bags under your eyes. Lexi feels a damp on, her, on the bed and shuffles to the side. Axe takes a golden instrument out from his desk and winds it up. Cogs turn and numbers spin. 3,004, 67, 10, until it settles on zero. Still no life signs. Axe says, winding it up again. From where we're going or where we came from? Lexi asks. Both. Lexi opens her locket. A screen with a photo of her and her family flickers inside. She takes a blossom out of her hair and puts it on the pillow. Alex stares at his maps. Did you want anything? The captain's worried, she says, handing him a black feather. Axe pinches a stalk of the feather, then drops it. It floats downwards and lodges itself between the floorboards. Axe stares at the floor. He scratches at the red blotches above his beard. Why? He asks. Lexi puts her hand on his shoulder. Promise me you'll tell me the truth. Axe turns away to his maps. What do you mean? I haven't lied to anyone. How long have we been lost for? Axe laughs. 
He takes the pin and pierces it through the blue in the map. Lexi frowns, so Axe takes the blossom out f- off of the pillow and puts it in his beard. She doesn't laugh. Lexi stares at the lines in the blue around the pin and shakes her head. We know you know where we are, but we don't know where we're going. Axe takes the pin out from the map, opens the window and throws the pin into the night. Then he takes a star chart out from his drawer and throws that outside too. Lexi slams the window shut. Goose bumps peep out from her skin as she shivers. Her hair frizzes in the damp air. Axe pushes the window open again. Stick your head outside. Do it. Lexi shuffles to the door. Go on. You call me me the recluse. When was the last time you looked up at the sky? He says, taking her elbow and guiding her towards the window. Lexi shakes him off. Stop it. This isn't like you. What's wrong? Axe scratches his oily hair. How am I supposed to navigate when the stars have gone out? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It seems like this opening of a piece. Um, <laughs> I really, really like it. <laughs> Thanks. I love how the apocalypse just subtly works its way in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Like, I was not expecting that at all. Like, the stars, the stars have gone out. What? <laughs> We're all going to die. It makes you want to know more, mm. definitely. I mm. just... I, I already kind of like the characters as well. Yeah. Like, Axe is a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> that kid, yeah. Axe is a subtle reference to stuff that I was going to play on later. Because, um, yeah. What were you going to play Ooh. on later? Well, I was going to... So the way that I wanted to do it um, was I was trying to sort of slip in a little metaphor that I'd put in later where um, basically, so they're obviously lost at sea and there's no way of navigating because the stars have gone out. And I wanted to sort of slip in the metaphor um, about uh, dyspraxia, which is a disability that I have, where you, like, part of one of the symptoms is that you just don't have a sense of direction. And so it's so easy to end up lost and you kind of get that feeling of, oh, I don't really know where to go. There's not really any signs that, like, I can get, get lost on campus and there just wouldn't be any signs that will take me in the right direction kind of thing. Um, and there's kind of, like, not a lot you can do. So I was kind of showing, um, the, the way that I was doing it was I was going to kind of show as, like, that feeling of being just completely lost and not really having a way of navigating. I was going to put that into this sort of apocalyptic um scene and just yeah use it as metaphors because i think that's part of the genre um in in all sort of like uh, fables and obviously i was honing into sea story which is like uh, sea stories which is a part of fables and stuff um it's kind of like you're supposed to tell things through metaphors and by just creating this big fantasy place a fantasy sort of world but then the metaphors link back to the real world so Axe is like part of the word dyspraxia. Dyspraxia, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You make, your writing is so personal, I love it. <laughs> so cool. Well, it's all like well thought out as well. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I, I can see the research here, you mm. know. Yeah, it's kind of, because um, they always tell us in creative writing that we've got to link everything back to some sort of real world issue or like injustice or something that you're almost like angry about or just something that you want to discuss that people don't usually talk about um and so yeah that's why I like slipping in things like disability awareness and stuff like that yeah well that's that's brilliant I really mm. appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so 
Um, did I say that we we're going to do Peter's piece next? Yeah, we're sort of working. Working. Around, all, we all know. go in around the table, aren't we? That's. I should remember <clears> the orders. We've literally just gone around the table. Mm. <laughs> so if you got. So your piece doesn't have any d- dialogue, so you yeah. can just read it. Out. I'll just read it. Um, yeah. What genre did you get? Oh, I got mystery. Sorry, I Ooh. forgot we discussed <laughs> this, but we need to mention it. Don't we? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's very mysterious and weird. I called it Blood Moon, which is very Ooh. edgy and cool. But I, um, <laughs> I just hope it isn't a little overwritten. But we'll just get into it. See yeah, what yeah, go for it. Yeah, no worries. The moon burned in the sky. A white-hot hole seared into the gaping darkness, looking down upon the world with an incomprehensible rage. The earth appeared differently beneath it, languishing all pale in the gloom, buzzing with a dormant cruelty as though in wait for some inevitable or ambiguous end. In most ways it was just another night, another twelve or so hours of drunk men stumbling home and running boots in the dark. But there was an anomaly that marked it out as different, The moon's sombre gaze met this anomaly, spread out upon the pavement there and trapped within such porcelain stillness that not a soul breathed. An open window, tens of stories up, clacked with noise as it swung in the wind. The supporting bar had broken, and now the hinges were free from bondage. Moonlight had never fallen upon such tragedy before. Not because such tragedy had never happened, but because not even the moonlight itself understood. The window could not be seen, there was no view inside, and as for the fall, no sounds, no nothing. Without any directness, any plain unfurling of events, the white of the moon's searing anger began to cool into a softer red, lost in confusion. The all-seeing mirror focused its reflected beams upon that fallen person. It cried without words why, and in its warm redness fought itself to be bleeding with those that it watched. In moments, the fury at witnessing the brutality of eternal night, the full depth of humanity's cruelty towards itself, subsided into a passivity that now faded pinkish. Embarrassed the moon was. It had not seen all, as it was used to, and it blushed with the sorrow and guilt of a thousand people. Some would be pushed, others would fall, sometimes they'd jump, or maybe they'd even be placed there, the evidence doctored. But this tragedy was seen by no one, not even the moon, and the first to touch such cold flesh when it reached the ground was this omniscient, unflinching gaze. It looked and looked, refused the right to avert its gaze until it fell and the sun rose. Through the night it turned whiter and whiter until it gleamed once more a brilliant heat. With the grey rock returned to rage and sunken beneath the horizon, a florist decides to open her store early. She has slept well, but remains restless. It's inexplicable. But the sun is a bead on the horizon, and the light has crept into the day like a ghoul. The moment she steps out of her store, with the first of her exterior displays, she is frozen with a certain disbelief. She sees the perfect stillness, the body of a 17-year-old girl so exquisitely broken that it can't possibly be real. But still it is. It is terribly real, and falling back upon quivering limbs, her cry wakes neighbours on either side. She is choked by the air she breathes, her face a grotesque emblem of grief, the moment that thoughts of death invade her innocent mind. Everyone's eyes looked and everyone's brains repeated the same thing, though when they were asked, they insisted they knew nothing. How strange then that in this city, even so late into the night, 
The only light falling upon her body happened to come from the sky, not from another's eyes. How strange that even with these hundreds clamouring to get a sight of the girl that jumped from 44B of Brookhaven Avenue, not a single shred of care came forth, just horror. Not a single voice explo exploded from the crowd asking, who in the hell knows for sure she jumped? Who in the hell said she jumped? Ooh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've, just, I've just lost faith in humanity entirely. <laughs> bit, I, like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for it to get so I don't know no, but it's so open-ended like it's mm. kind of like I, I feel like this is like a lot of mysteries where you sort of start off with a scene and it's like but she was pushed and like that sort of thing um and where you like find out what actually happened and how the scene was staged and like how like yeah if there was someone else involved like how did they get away so that now it's only the moon that's like there to witness it I love that the moon was a spectator and like almost a narrator as well, sort of like it was being, because the moon was the only one there to witness it and the moon doesn't, still doesn't know anything because obviously it's not sentient. It's, it was really interesting that the moon was like the narrator and that's what made it even more mysterious mm. because the moon knows nothing. Yeah. How did you feel when writing that? Like, what did it like, um, yeah, like what do you think about this piece? Why... I sort of started with the image of, like, the moon burning in the sky. It was supposed to be a crescent at first. Mm. And it was from, like, another piece of writing that I did. Um, and then it just sort of developed. And I'm like, what if, what if the moon saw something happen? And it came from the prompt, because obviously the prompt is about talking in a language you can't speak. And I'm like, well, if I personify the moon, we all know the moon doesn't feel. But what if the moon did? But it didn't really know how to. It's just... And then I, I had this image of the blood moon and I was like, maybe if on this rare event when we get a blood moon, it's like the one point where the moon isn't angry at the crime it sees on Earth. It's actually feeling sorrow almost at like some great tragedy that is never solved, you know. Um, so I don't know. That, that, was, that was the thinking behind it. It's super, super deep. <laughs> yeah, it, it just layers piled on and now I don't even know what it is anymore. <laughs> It's, it's, it's beautiful writing. That's what it is. Thank you very much. Yeah. I worried that maybe it was overwritten, but I think it's. I think it could do I with some work. I think it characterizes the moon, though, like the way mm. it sort of, as you were saying, like it just just doesn't know how to feel. Mm. I think that really comes across, and it's just really sweet. Like you really, um, like yeah, the moon's just a very likable character in it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Are we ready for Bella's piece? Yeah, my piece is very different. Um, <laughs> we, we're bringing the characters Foley, Wick, and Benji back um, hey. from oh, which episode was it? The second one? Okay. Um, I can't remember. It was the chart. Which was one was the chart? Yeah, it was the second yeah, it was one. the second one. We're bringing those characters back because yeah. uh, I do a lot of flash fiction with these characters, and they're super fun. <laughs> I missed them. You missed the characters. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I mean, when I said like who wants to play who, you were immediately like, I want to play who I played last time. I'm attached to this character now. <laughs> Um, I miss the people behind the characters. You miss the people behind the characters. <laughs> Who are following us on Instagram. Which is great. They're honestly quite, very excited to be on air. So, I mean, <laughs> I feel like this is absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, so, casting. Well, oh, I'll talk about the genre. Um, the genre I got was Manifesto. Ooh. So, a Manifesto sounds like it's a political thing. When you talk about what kind of 
policies you're going to have, but it can actually be a variety of different things. So I've gone for like a creative sort of manifesto that's supposed to portray an idea um, mm -hmm. or like convince you of an idea. Um, so yeah, the idea kind of I was going for was modern day escapism. Ooh, very Bella. Very <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? It's very um, amazing. <laughs> um, Casting-wise, I know that Izzy really wants to play Foley yes. because I denied her Foley last time. <laughs> um, I will actually note that I the fir Foley's first line I forgot to highlight, so just so you're aware How and you do you? read it. Um, so, Erin, you're going to be Benji again. Awesome. And you're going to be Wick, and Wick is in yellow. Whoa. Uh, Foley is in blue, and um, Benji's in pink. I think. Wait, hang on. I love how excited Wait, on, I Benji was about getting yellow. You're like, whoa. <laughs> Benji's purple, right? Oh yeah, pur pink, purple. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, okay. Wait, just, just for those listening, we highlight lines so everyone yeah, knows what we're saying. Wondering like what on earth we're on about. <laughs> um, okay. There were so many daisies smattered across that bank that the whole grass ground had become a slew of sunny-ups, fizzing in the baby summer. There was something I had to do, but some scaly bird guarding the water fence was distracting me, screeching something like, It's off limits for you! Get a bike! Go to the dentist! My friends were all lying either belly up or belly down, eyes big as black houseflies and jaws glinting back and forth. Wick said something in French, but no one knew what. Settle down, frogman, Foley interrupted, slamming his fist on the grass. This is bigger than us. What I'm saying, don't interrupt. I'm telling you, this is a blessing. This is a blessing for us all. Look, I'm so dedicated to this cause. I could fly right now. Do you hear me? No, I'm listening to the Beatles. Ah, oh, I didn't know they were on. You would if you'd shut up. There was a lull in the chirp and chatter all of a sudden. Lennon took his slot in the silence. Or maybe it was McCartney. Either way, the ripples in the lake moved just as nice. I blinked. What cause? Foley scoffed. The cause? Oh. The leather on my shoes was burning my feet. I don't get it. Jesus Christ, man, you know. I didn't. I was the, I was the one where we just let life just whack us right in the face. The one where we go on a road trip and find the epitome of nothingness, east to west. Road trip! Wick sat up and flapped his arms. I noticed some drawn his uncommonly large chin. That hippie rubbish only works for Americans. I'm American. <laughs> no, you ain't. Are you stupid? Maybe if I had some real booze, I would be. But the corner shop closed at four. I know. Foley replied. Had I said that out loud? Benji, who had been too busy trying to untangle his sunglasses from his hair, spat his opinion into the sod. Your cause is cuckoo. You have money? What? There are no rules to this thing. He twitched his arm. If I want to speak Dutch, I'll speak Dutch. Have me a beer, would you? I dug two of the green bottle kind out of the books next to me, passing one to Foley before cracking one open with a lighter for myself. It was a bit warm, but it tasted like San Bernadetto Beach at seven in the afternoon. I knew what Foley was talking about, even if the guy was too big a div to speak proper English. He meant 21st century escapism, a bit like the popular escapism of the 70s, but adjusted, revised to fit the monoxide fresh pace of today. You have money, Benji had said, and I wanted to say, no, but will we ever? Escapism isn't just about liquor and lust anymore, though those sure would help. Escapism is about living for absolutely any reason you can think of. It's about clinging to all and any liberty, even if you get egged for those carnal pleasures in the street by some primary age snakes. 
It's about still smelling the sun cream on your legs and tasting the ecstasy in that can of Coca-Cola, even if all the summer brought you that year was bruises on your thighs and glue in your hair. Man. Wick drawled. It's almost six. Stop telling me the time already. That was Foley. You're going to send me west. We're already west, I whispered, leaning back on my bag. But if we wish we're not really hard, then we can hardly tell. And that's basically it. Forcing yourself to become so taken by the little things, by hot coffee, by ducks nibbling on hovis, by the burn at the back of your throat, that you hardly remember why you needed to forget. We, Foley, Wick, Benji and me, were not dozing by the lake for a lark, or to be lazy, or because Barbara O'Reilly is a good song but Rock Lobster is a better one. We were dozing because inside, there's an essay to write, and a breakup to cry about, and a citalopram to take. And that's a big blistering wad of rot! Hi, mother. Foley sat up and pushed his glasses atop his head. There's someone getting married on the pontoon over there. Stop pointing, Benji said, flipping a page in his book. Something by Hunter S. Thompson. I think I gave it to him. You're just drunk. Foley slapped him. No, you stiff losers, look. We did, and he was right. There they were, one donned in a suit, sweet and tailored, and the other stood in a cream cup of chiffon and silk. They smiled, but the midges were putting the guy with the camera in a tight corner so he couldn't take a photo. I wondered at how young they were. Children, it seemed. She's gonna get a dress dirty. There are too many geese. Wick observed, squinting at them. They look happy, though, huh? Maybe I should ask Julie to marry me. They all looked at me, faces butter smooth with shock. Foley shouted, You're twenty! And Benji said something like, You've only known her three months, stupid. But I shrugged, took a swig of my beer. There was happiness on that deck, and I would give up the colour yellow for it. It's dumb. Wick said, flicking at his lighter. Maybe that's why she should do it, you know? That doesn't make sense. Well then listen, Foley. He reached over to change the song. The sound swung, Jimi Hendrix hitting the guitar hard and level. Benji hummed in approval because Jimmy must have known God on some personal level to play like that. Maybe that's why he joined the 27 Club. He was just hungry to meet the big man. Plus? Wick continued, once the song had got to know itself. She could always get divorced. Say Palomar, bar. I can't listen when you speak French. The sun was setting across Foley's face. What did he say? It means it's not as if you have to drink the sea. Why the hell would I want to drink the sea? God, you dingbat, no. I closed my eyes, swapping their bickering for the sound of the heron scrambling through the willows. Wick was right. So was Foley. But it didn't matter. I only wanted to swim in the sea anyway. I'd always been a great swimmer. I joined the swim team once before the bad thing happened. I was a real champ. Now, though, I think I just float on the water until there's nothing to see but the plains. Little metal-backed spiders of the sky. Typical escapism, that. I must be a real paragon, seriously. Oh, I love that scene. I love the setting, like the little bank with the daisies on. Like, as soon as you said that, I knew which bank you were talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bank I miss very much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just love, like, you definitely got across, like, what escapism, like, means to you and, like, what it means in general and stuff like that, and you're taking it. And it's, like, very palatable. Like, I feel like if you were to just write, like... If you were to just write a big old rant about escapism, like, it would be... I would still read it, Bella, because it's you. (laughs) (laughs) But it, like, wouldn't be as palatable. You wouldn't learn as much from it if you just, like, have this sort of example of what escapism is. Yeah, I feel like 
the characters are supposed to portray it rather than like me just going on, just laying out the facts of what I think escapism is wouldn't, I wouldn't make as much sense because I feel like mm. everyone has a different idea of what those facts would be. Whereas if you put them into characters and you give people a scene of what you mean, then it's far more easier to understand what I was trying to say, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think you can tell as well that you're like really comfortable with the color, like with the characters, even with like the little things that everyone says. Like I just love the little line, um, I would give up the color yellow for it. <laughs> because it's so it just says so much. Well, it's a little shout out to Van Gogh actually, because mm. um I think that he ate yellow paint once because he thought that it would make him happy. Um, <laughs> which a lot of people are like, oh he was he was stupid for doing that. Of course yellow paint doesn't make you happy, but like I mean, if you're gonna, if you want to try and be happy, like you try, you try anything, wouldn't you? Yeah. Don't try that at home, kids. Yeah, don't, try, <laughs> don't try that. That definitely doesn't work. But like, you, you know, like it's the kind of yeah. That was my little shout out to Van Gogh, sort of being like, if certain things gonna make you happy, then you know, like indulge in it. Sort of like drinking that Coca Cola out in the sunshine. Like, oh, I had a, I had something to do that day, but also, it would be a crime not to sit in the sun, and enjoy the vitamin D. So that's just my um so I, mic I, drop. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> just hear the mic slap across the floor. Oh. I, I just I just wrote a really long essay about like British work ethic and how like um there's like a character in this book that I was reading for it that basically just debases all of that and is like just enjoy yourself like whatever you know. But um so yeah I'm kind of in that mindset right now because it was four thousand words. <laughs> oh. But for something that has this classification of, like, manifesto, it is very sweet and bubbly. And I think it is driven by the characters um, that you know personally, but still. Um, <laughs> you, you really have sort of gotten their characterization perfect, I think. They have really good chemistry. Thank you very much. Um, well, two of them actually I refer to as the hive mind because they're like the same the person. Same. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite funny. They were out on a they were out getting a meal, and one of them wanted like the taco, and um, the other one went, um, <laughs> "But I don't want the taco." And he was like, well, "You don't have to order the same thing as me." And it hadn't just crossed his mind that they could <laughs> order separate <laughs> meals. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was serving them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah. Just quickly, Aaron, did you have any quick topics that we could just... Okay, should we do... Uh, how do you get over writer's block? Ah, oh, the hard one. Oh, no. <laughs> my, my, I go for a walk or listen to music. Mm. don't know what you guys That's a good do. idea. What I do is I give myself a radio show, so I have to write it. That's one of the reasons why I have this show. Because I can't just... Usually if you have writer's block, it's easy just to be like, oh, well, that's that now i'm just not gonna do it i'm gonna sit in there for a while which is a good bit of advice to sit in it for a while but also like you have to keep to a deadline and so that helps you could say that about our degree as well though is <laughs> like, yeah. i did a degree to get past writer's block because i have to submit an assignment otherwise i'm not going i'm going to fail mm. but apparently that was enough you needed a radio show as well yeah <laughs> The degree wasn't enough motivation. Because <laughs> well, with this, I can, it can help me with my degree. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah. Peter, solve writer's block in one sentence. Um, write something else. That is a good point. I think the best way to overcome writer's block is by listening to our shows to every episode, Peter. Oh, yeah, I'm, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, you need to listen to every episode. Just edit the bit earlier out. And, yeah. <laughs> 
and on oh, no, Instagram. So we are coming towards the end of our show. I like having four pieces. We get to like explore more writing. But anyway, so we're coming towards the end of the show. So first of all, with our thank yous, Bella, who did the prompt directly come from? Uh, came from Dylan. So thank you, Dylan, for your incredible prompt. <laughs> I, I worship your chaotic energy. <laughs> Yes, so thanks, Dylan, for the prompt. Um, Thank you so much for listening uh, to everyone, not just to Dylan. (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, For more prompts and writing, go to our Instagram, which is now Prompted Writing Podcast. If you want writing advice or want to share your response to um, one of our prompts, DM us. Um, Oh, we'll reveal next week's prompt on the Instagram. Um, You can find us on Anchor FM, which will distribute to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, and many more. Please feel free to leave us a review if your podcasting app likes you, or just even message us saying what you thought of the show so we can um, get some feedback. Um, But yeah, thanks to Raw 12.51am for hosting us. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. So it's a goodbye from Izzy. Goodbye from Bella. Goodbye from Aaron. And a goodbye from the strange man who turned up this. (laughs) Why are you still here? (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, thank you very much, guys, and goodbye.